0: The pandemic affected the residential and commercial real estate markets very differently. In New Orleans and elsewhere, home prices climbed as buyers sought more space and listings became scarce. Meanwhile, the work from home trend has emptied out many office buildings and health restrictions have limited foot traffic in stores and restaurants. Today, we're going to talk to Henry Shortest of Urban Properties to get his take on commercial real estate trends in New Orleans, where we are now and where we're going. Henry, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate it.
0: So, what is the status of commercial real estate? Can you break it down? Let's talk about the different categories. How are things looking?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I think, you know, one could really just drive down Magazine Street on a Saturday or make their way down to the French Quarter and probably just observe, you know, an increase in crowds and foot traffic, car traffic, right? So, from that perspective, it definitely feels like general activity has definitely picked up, um, granted off of a very, very low baseline. You know, let's call that baseline zero, right, for purposes of this conversation. And that baseline, really, I'm referring, you know, to restaurant traffic, boutique traffic, any kind of retailer, you know, that really saw their business come to a complete stop, um, which was almost a full year ago, um, which is hard to believe. But we have, you know, kind of crossed that one year threshold. Um, And so, look, I think directionally things are improving. There's still a long way to go. I don't know if I'm ready to call a bottom, per se, in terms of market rates. And I'll get into a little bit more about, you know, how that compares across different asset classes. But I think, you know, if you want to get more granular, right, and kind of start with retail, um, that's an industry where really, um, you know, there were headwinds that the retail industry was facing that predate the pandemic. And had really then, you know, sort of um, working their way towards what kind of felt like a Climax or inflection point, or however you want to phrase it, for quite some time. The pandemic really uh, kind of exacerbated some of that um, and really pulled forward some trends in terms of e commerce and um, things like that, probably by five years or so. Right. So that's kind of the broad stroke from a retail perspective. Um, and then thinking about another asset class that really kind of took it on the chin would be the hotel industry. Right. And there, you know, you see one of the most easy to discuss metrics would be the occupancy rate. Right. And so you want to talk about a low baseline. I mean, it doesn't get much lower than zero percent. Right. And hotels don't don't work at zero percent. They really don't work at 30. Right. right? Um, And it's interesting to hear kind of anecdotally through talking to people in the industry, how occupancy rates have accelerated to kind of the 30 percent mark really since the beginning of the year and hearing that phrasing you know thinking that you're accelerating to 30 percent i think that kind of speaks to the magnitude of the decline um and i don't even know if a decline really sums it up appropriately right i think it was more like falling off a cliff um and so i think you know from talking to different people around the city whether it's business owners or hotel operators as long as that 30 percent continues to trend upward um, and really uh, trend meaningfully upward, hopefully to an excess of 60%. Maybe you get up to 75% by the fall, right? Where it looks like this city has built up a nice backlog of events. People are more comfortable from a tourism perspective. Um, I think that's kind of the trajectory there from a hotel perspective. So those two are really the easiest to kind of throw out there as wow, you know, the pandemic was really, really hard on those two particular, you know, parts of the real estate family.
0: Let's talk about the office situation. What are you expecting to happen with office space as it gets as sure. it becomes available?
1: Sure, well, look, I think the early days of the pandemic, maybe there was a rush, you know, to kind of call downtown dead, right? Um, was that rash? Sure, right? I think when you think about the city from a bigger uh, picture, right? I mean, downtown is extremely important to the viability of New Orleans and having that built-in office presence is vital for the surrounding bars restaurants retailers hotels um and so i think with more time that elapsed you know from the early days of the pandemic kind of came into focus more for us that downtown office tower space is extremely important to the city right but there can also be demand for low-rise space that maybe is on the fringe of the downtown area talking the lower garden district um uptown magazine street right or maybe you know you still have that decent proximity to downtown, but you're not in the traditional tower space, right? And so I think, and, it, you know, there was a good article that came out recently that described the 2020 office market as kind of being a holding pattern. And I don't disagree with that characterization. of it, but, You know, I do think that conversations were started at least in terms of, well, what does the next five years look like for our company? right? How important is the downtown presence? What type of square footage footprint do we need? You know, does it make sense now for maybe 50% of the workforce to work from home? Um, You know, I think the pandemic, what, what we really saw was that people can still be productive from their home, right? Now, that part of it is, you know, that's a risk to the office market, right? If it is proven that someone doesn't need to be downtown, they don't have to commute, right? Company doesn't have to maybe pay for their parking, um, pay the rent, right? Then, well, it's kind of, you know, why not cut that overhead and just have people work from home? Um, Which it's interesting when you think about it from a rate perspective, we didn't really see downtown office rates roll over or, you know, decrease by, Twenty percent, thirty percent. There wasn't a meaningful change when you look at occupancy and rate, um, which I think goes back to your point, right? There's still there's still more to this story that's going to unfold, right? Um, and I think it will probably transpire over. I think it'll be probably more on the order of twenty four to thirty six months, right? As companies really try to figure out how do they value in office presence, you know the camaraderie that, that might be valued for some companies might not be as important for others, right? right. And then obviously you mm-hmm. the weigh the financial costs of maybe decreasing your rent and then being able to kind of allocate that capital to other places of your company, I think it's a pretty compelling proposition, you know, for companies to cut their footprints, right? That being said, you know, if you look at tower space, right? Use a hypothetical, maybe a company's got 20,000 square feet. They want to cut it to 10, right? In time, maybe they would look into a co-working option for kind of a flex space for those employees maybe that used to make the commute, um, but don't really want to work at home, but still need some kind of uh, space where they can be productive. I think that part of the story is still developing in terms of co-working space and flex office space. Right. Right. It's really company by company and what's important to them, right? And where do they see themselves now versus uh, five years down the road, right? Right.
0: So We talked about office, retail, hospitality. Is there anything to say about the multifamily side of things and how the pandemic affected that in general? And what about industrial?
1: Yeah, sure. So first with industrial, I think, you know, I touched on, you know, kind of the rise of e-commerce and e-commerce demand and kind of how that's been detrimental in a way to the retail side of things well that's been a huge catalyst for the industrial market you know you look at new leases signed for sizable footprints for distribution warehouses even you know you look at some retail conversions to become more of like an industrial type asset you know whether it's data centers or the internet of things or you know the really large players out there who need to increase their logistical footprint to cut down on delivery times Um, i think that has really given way to a nice. Increase in demand for industrial assets and a corresponding increase in rates on the industrial side, right? So that's a that's a side of the business that I'm very bullish about, and I think those trends will continue to accelerate throughout the end of this year and really for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I think the digitalization of the world is a big catalyst for industrial assets.
0: Well, I saw you know obviously they the Amazon center that they're going to build in Slidell, and I and there's and there's I think one coming in Baton Rouge and you hear about there's going to be more and more of those coming and then i think i saw it was a story speculating about the future of esplanade mall and they don't sure. know what's going to happen but they someone even uh, had speculated that it might be end up becoming some sort of distribution out there as well
1: right right so, yeah it's interesting to think about and i think if you you add in another variable when you think about population growth right and how you kind of contract that like on a regional basis and then get even more granular you know to county Perish, right? Areas with growing populations, I think there's a corresponding increase for these type of retail conversions to industrial assets, right? Because you you would assume growing population, well, that's also bringing along with it a rise in e-commerce demand, right? So there needs to be an industrial asset that can kind of fit that gap, right? And cutting down on delivery time um, and kind of widening the logistical footprint for some of these larger companies. Um, so really bullish on industrial and really don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Um, and then the multifamily side, I think, you know, if you think about it kind of from a risk, kind of a risk adjusted basis, I would put that kind of in the same tier as industrial, right? I think, you know, where interest rates are, um, and really kind of comes down to the aggression of certain investors and different opportunities that maybe they, they see on the market. I think multifamily has also proven to kind of be that, uh, Resilient asset class like an industrial. Um, so, you know, see strong demand on the multifamily side and expect that to continue as well. Um, but maybe one thing, I don't really see a lot of distressed opportunities currently, right? You know, I think, you know, from an investment perspective, people are, you know, would try to time a market bottom, right? Um, that I haven't really seen. Uh, you know, strong evidence of that uh, yet. That's not to say that it won't happen. Um, But, you know, I think multifamily, uh, strong demand there. Um, You know, and if I'm making a recommendation to someone, right, and you you kind of rank them, i put industrial and multifamily near the top, office would kind of be that middle tier. And then uh, hospitality and retail would kind of fall into the last bucket. Now that can change, right? But I think where demand is now, and current trends, that's kind of how I see it stacking up.
0: Right. And you make a good point, too, that so even if things might get to be their worst, then it's an investment opportunity for somebody. And that'll be <laughs> that'll be new capital. And it could be the beginning of a rebound, you know.
1: Right. Uh, right.
0: Of course, there's winners and losers in that scenario. But, okay, let's get a little plug in for Urban Properties here. Um, you guys, you say that you guys have done a fair amount of deals over the last year, despite everything that's been going on with the pandemic. Can you talk about how that might be different from a normal year? Like,
1: what have you been doing?
0: How have the transactions been going?
1: Sure, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from from a business perspective, right? The early innings of the pandemic were really focused on negotiating rent abatement for tenants. You know, tenants that we, you know, may have signed leases with back in 2016, 2017, sort of incorporating uh, force majeure clauses um, you know, to add amendments to certain leases to give tenants that we represent the flexibility, that, you know, that they needed to make it through the early days of the pandemic, where things were still, you know, tremendously uncertain. Um, so, from that perspective, very busy on the tenant representation side of things. And then, as you kind of work your way through different asset classes, the stronger classes like multifamily and industrial were relatively unaffected, right? Um, you know, so it's hard to think well. Uh, think of those classes not in the context of the pandemic, right? But really, there wasn't a there wasn't a meaningful slowdown in those two classes, right? Right. The retail side of things, and maybe I'll use uh, Magazine Street as a proxy for that. Um, You know, being approached by tenants who maybe think, okay, well, rental rates have to be coming down, right? Tenants are leaving, reading headlines, you know, we're reading about vacancies on Fifth Avenue in New York and Michigan Avenue in Chicago, you know, those trends must also be true for Magazine Street. Um, Much smaller sample set, right, than some of those larger markets. Um, But, you know, through our research um, and our data polls, you know, we saw that there wasn't really a – there wasn't a meaningful decrease in rates on Magazine Street. There was an increase in vacancy, right, but those rates kind of held firm. Um, You know, so in terms of deals – really kind of finding the landlords that were willing to be flexible and maybe negotiate shorter term leases. And that was, that was an interesting thing that we really gleaned was maybe, maybe on the retail side, pre-pandemic, you know, the average lease length was probably five years plus. You know, probably late 2020, you know, that number is probably closer to three, right? And in some cases, you get, you get tenants who want to do only 12 months. Right, and how could you blame them? You know, they want that visibility before before making a longer term commitment. Right. Um, so I think it was if I could use a baseball analogy, it was really a lot of singles and doubles for us. Right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like we were getting the bases loaded and hitting home runs in terms of deals, but we were able to kind of piece together, you know, small tenant assignments, uh, landlord assignments, and really kind of stabilize the overall business. Um, you know by knocking out some smaller deals and when i say smaller i mean in terms of uh the number of lease years associated with it
0: understood do you think there's going to be more opportunities for investors coming up this year what's your what's your just gut feeling on that if you're talking to someone who's interested in investing
1: yeah sure so i mean i think it really you know if you look at the hotel side of things i think if you know if we see occupancy rates sort of increase in lockstep with federal stimulus then i think you know, that can that maybe has been kicked down the road for quite some time, you can go pick it up, right? I mean, if people are coming back to hotels, then I think that lifeline is just that, right? I mean, it's a lifeline that was able to get those operators to the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, I think there are, you know, there are risks out there that are still associated with the pandemic, right? I mean, if it's whether it's new strains, or, um, you know, if uh, shutdowns were to be implemented again, right, you know, then that would be, that would be problematic for the industry. Right. Um, but no, I think the, the stimulus packages have been timely. They've been much needed. Um, and I think, you know, they're not going to be forever. Right. Right. And I think maybe for some, you know, that's an important, that's an important point to digest, right. Is that that kind of support is not going to be there for the foreseeable future. Right. So it's kind of, it's, you know, and hope isn't a strategy, right? But in this case, it does feel like, you know, there's a there's a hope uh, for certain operators that, you know, if the other variables trend in the right direction, then I think the stimulus has been able to bridge the gap pretty effectively. I've got three
0: more questions for you. One is, you see workers leaving expensive coastal cities where they had to be there for their tech job. Now that they can, they're getting out and they're moving to smaller, more manageable places with with more affordable houses. Do you see evidence of New Orleans benefiting from some of that? And if not, any thoughts on how we can up our game?
1: (laughs) Right. Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, um, we do need to up our game as a city, right? Because unfortunately, I think New Orleans has been outpaced by, you know, the Austins, Dallas, um, Nashville, Las Vegas, cities in South Florida, right? Um, And it can be for a myriad of reasons, right? I mean... Uh, the absence of income tax in some of those cities, I think, is part of the picture, right? When you think about maybe, uh, you know, net migration from places like New York or California, right? Well, it's easy to point to kind of the uh, tax implications that are associated with some of those cities. And then the absence of those taxes, sure, it makes it more appealing to move to a Nashville uh, or to a South Florida, for instance. Um, I think what New Orleans really thrives on is the culture, right? Which is a very hard to quantify metric, um, you know, it's almost like you need to see it to believe it, right? And once, I feel like once someone gets here, then they they kind of understand, you know, where people are coming from in terms of like, there's just something about the city that kind of gets in you. Um, but I think, you know, if you if you looked at more quantitative metrics, um, you know whether it's wage growth or um, tax implications or the ease of doing business I think there might be other parts of the country you know that look better uh, vis-a-vis New Orleans right now right and I think what New Orleans can do is really try to try to improve and provide different incentives for you know sort of the emerging industries out there to kind of start the new chapters of growth for the city for the next century, right? I mean, you think about New Orleans, right? And it's really port city and then oil and gas, you know, was such a large part of the local economy for so many years, right? And I think now we've kind of seen that transition and really the pandemic brought to light. Well, you know, if there is kind of a slight exodus, you know, from the Silicon Valleys of the world, well, then where's the next stop for those companies, right? And I certainly hope that New Orleans can be competitive, you know, with the nationals of the world, because culturally, you know, I think New Orleans is second to none. Right. But I do think in terms of doing business, quality of life um, and some of those other metrics, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of competition. So New Orleans has to has to stay in that conversation and really be on people's radar. Right. You know, to continue to continue growing in the right direction.
0: Okay, two other questions for you. There's another national trend of of suburban growth, a lot driven by millennials, uh, people buying houses, starting families. Are you guys seeing that at all?
1: Yeah, when you think about, you know, the way cities are created, right? I mean, they're dense, they're densely populated, the way businesses are positioned, most things are very compact, right? I think, you know, you think about it from a generational perspective, but then the pandemic was also a good teaching point in terms of maybe... Uh, You know, you look at Manhattan, for instance. Right. And, you know, New York is an easy example for, um, you know, to to see people leaving the state. But in some cases, maybe they were only leaving less than 60 miles and they were moving to Brooklyn or to the Hamptons. Right. It Wasn't like everyone that left New York was going to Miami. Right. You read some headlines and maybe that's the takeaway that you would have. Um, But sometimes, you know, that exodus really isn't that far. Right, I think you know that's a much bigger market, you know, with more of a surrounding area than the New Orleans area, um, you know. But I think some of those same trends are still prevalent, and I think will continue to evolve over time, um, you know. Which you hope from from a city perspective, right? You know, it's it's kind of finding that right that right balance between between the migration away from city centers right? You know, to still having enough of a presence to sustain, you know, the office environment, the hotel environment, the retail presence. Um, But no, I think you make a good point on the generational side of things where um, you really just think about the quality of life. Right. And I think that's kind of the overarching theme, you know, for most people. And I don't even know if that really can be ascribed to one generation in particular. I think that kind of holds true, you know, for millennials, you know, uh, kind of all the way up, right? Um, where people people want that good balance, you know, with not a long commute um, and also a nice balance of things to do outside of their work life.
0: Okay, so my last question for you is the same question I ask everybody uh, this year during these conversations. Looking at everything that's happened, what makes you worried right now still
1: and what makes you optimistic? What keeps me up at night, I guess, would be yeah. another way to think about it. Look, I mean, I think, uh you know, if I could sum it up in a phrase, really, the only the only certainty out there is that there is uncertainty, right? Um, and I think you know the past the past year really, you know, kind of um, kind of illustrated that, right? Where there's you know whether it's uh, limitations on business capacity or you know maybe places that you can't travel. I think you know the general uncertainty of things can be a really daunting. Thing, right? Um, You know, if you want to use an analogy, right, it's almost like you're driving in a car. You know, the pandemic was kind of like you were driving into a blizzard and maybe the windshield wipers were broken. Right. Right. You you really had no idea what was next, right? And I think, you know, that that can be troubling for some, right? But on the flip side, um, you know, I think with the passage of time and really the rate of vaccinations now, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about. You know, I think we've got, we've got a Fed, you know, that's going to continue to do whatever it takes to support local economies, which is very important. It seems like they have a very good grasp of what that's going to take, you know, to keep, to keep small businesses out of trouble, as well as big businesses. Um, You know, so I think there's a tremendous amount of support, you know, from a national level, as well as a local level, um, you know, to really, to really get through this, right. And I think, There will be trends you know that came out of the pandemic that will continue on for the next five years, and you know I think there's some exciting opportunities. um, You know that have come out of this and in terms of how it's changed real estate and how it's changed how cities have been planned. um, You know, so I think there's a tremendous there's a tremendous amount of change that will come out of this and hopefully you know it's all um, it's all sort of underpinned you know by people wanting to create a better to create a better New Orleans, a better Louisiana, and a better country. That sounds great.
0: Henry Shortis. thank you for being a guest on our podcast.
1: Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to
1: contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.